2: Hi, perhaps you recognise me, it's your favourite president. And I'm standing in front of the Oval Office at the White House, which is always an exciting place to be.
0: After a rollercoaster week of rushed hospital admissions and grave concerns about the president's health, Donald Trump took to Twitter in a return to form, turning the White House into a reality TV set.
2: I went in, I wasn't feeling so hot, and within a very short period of time, they gave me Regeneron. It's a cure. For me, I walked in, I didn't feel good. A short 24 hours later, I was feeling great. I went to get out of the hospital.
0: Standing on the lawn outside the Oval Office on Wednesday afternoon, and looking noticeably more tanned, President Trump held the experimental treatment he'd undergone as a miraculous cure.
2: So, I think this was a blessing from God that I caught it. This was a blessing in disguise. I caught it, I heard about this drug, I said, let me take it. It was my suggestion. I said, let me take it. And it was incredible the way it
0: worked, incredible. But how sick is the president? Yesterday, Nancy Pelosi made it clear that the Democrats don't believe he's fit for office.
4: Tomorrow, by the way, tomorrow, come here tomorrow, we're going to be talking about the 25th Amendment.
0: Is today the day to talk about the 25th Amendment? Should the Vice President be stepping up? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manfine Rana. Today, the health of the President and the Constitution.
5: So what we know is that details leaked last Thursday.
0: David Charter is the Times US editor based in Washington, DC. He's been piecing together a timeline out of the chaos of the past week.
5: Pope Hicks. A very senior aide to President Trump, had tested positive for coronavirus. And shortly afterwards, President Trump did an interview live on Fox News. I just went out for a test. They just do it. It'll come back later, I guess. And uh, the first lady also... We spent he of- said he'd had a test and so had his wife, Melania, and they were waiting for the results. And then at... About 1 a.m. in the morning on Friday came the tweet that both President Trump and the First Lady had tested positive for the coronavirus. This stunning news, the President of the United States now confirming to the world that he and the First Lady of the United States have both tested positive for the coronavirus. It was a shock, but not a surprise, because President Trump has been flouting all the basic guidelines. And it seemed to me really and many people, just a matter of time. Then events moved very quickly on Friday because we heard from official statements during the day that President Trump was only suffering from mild symptoms, that he remained hard at work and was energetic. Really, behind the scenes, there was a crisis in the White House. It's a dramatic development. You may be able to hear the sound of the rotor engines behind me because Marine One has just come into land on the south lawn of the White House and we understand that it is to take the president to Walter Reed Medical Center. We only learned later from his doctors that President Trump had been administered oxygen during the day on Friday. I want to thank
2: everybody for the tremendous support. I'm going to Walter Reed Hospital. It
5: really looked like they were throwing the kitchen sink at this thing. We learned that he was getting remdesivir, a treatment that's been shown to limit the course of the disease and reduce the viral load. He was also receiving a monoclonal antibody therapy, which, again, is to reduce the severity. And then a couple of days later, we were told that he's receiving dexamethasone, which is a steroid, again, to address the symptoms, but one that can make you feel... Uh, much better when, in fact, some experts say you're still probably suffering quite badly from the disease.
0: And it's interesting that some of those drugs do sort of slightly disguise, you know, you you don't know how, how ill you are, they boost you effectively. Do we have a sense of just how ill President Trump has been?
5: We had three daily press conferences from his doctors on Saturday, Sunday and Monday. And while they did disclose all about these therapies and treatments that he was receiving... There were a number of questions that the doctors either refused to answer or seemed to be covering up. The first of which was whether he'd received oxygen. At first, the doctors on Saturday denied reporters questions about whether President Trump had received oxygen. Then on Sunday when they came back, they were pressed on this issue, admitted that President Trump had received oxygen on Friday and that his oxygen levels had twice dipped to low levels. And so pretty quickly the media began to lose faith in exactly what the doctors were saying. There
0: have been very mixed messages from his medical team, from the doctors, and many Americans in the meantime have been turning to the TikTok account of a teenager to find out what's happening with the president's health. Tell me about that.
5: So I guess you're referring to Claudia Conway, who's the daughter of Kellyanne Conway, a former senior advisor to President Trump. So Claudia Conway revealed that she had gone down with the coronavirus following her mother's infection.
0: On TikTok, 15-year-old Claudia Conway tore apart the official announcements on President Trump's recovery, writing, Guys, he's not doing better. In other posts, Claudia is being told off by her mother for saying she lied about a COVID test result. Kellyanne demands that her daughter issue a retraction. Do it now. You say, correctly. I am, my I'm mom doing had it right te- now. My mom had three tests. I'm doing it right now. Test it immediately.
5: Mom, I didn't, I guess I misinterpreted it. You guess you misinterpreted it? You guess you misinterpreted it? Yeah, you said it was negative. So I spent the day with you.
0: You've caused so much disruption. Disruption? With- you lied about your f- mother, about COVID? No, what, mom. About COVID? It's how I, mis- it's how I interpreted, interpreted it. You interpreted it? You're taping me again?
5: And of course, Kellyanne Conway was at the event at the end of October to launch President Trump's Supreme Court candidate, which is being referred to as a super spreader event. That's not been absolutely confirmed, but is strongly suspected because at least two senators, two or three journalists and several others who were in attendance, including, of course, the president and the first lady, went down with the virus days after that event.
0: What would normally happen when a president falls sick? I mean, how much would the public be told?
5: I think this is pretty normal behaviour because there's been a long history in America of presidents' covering up the true extent of their illnesses. In recent times, the public has become used to the White House releasing an annual statement of fitness for the president, but it's really a piece of political theatre designed to show how vigorous and energetic and well the president is. And we've often been left reading between the lines and wondering exactly what the real state of the president's health is. The famous case of Grover Cleveland in the 19th century who developed oral cancer and was said to have gone on a fishing trip during an economic crisis when, in fact, he was having a tumour removed from his mouth is perhaps one of the most outstanding from American history. But many other presidents have covered up what's really been going on with their health, including in a pandemic, because Woodrow Wilson during the 1918 Spanish flu, is believed to have gone down with the virus. However, this was never released to the American public and he was told that he had a cold when really they were frantic about the state of his health. And he only made things worse by trying to perpetuate the cover-up and returning quickly to work. When he promptly had a stroke and was incapacitated for several months which was all kept from the American public in 1919. Perhaps most well-known is uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who tried to cover up the extent of his own incapacity from polio. He used a wheelchair, but was rarely seen in public in the wheelchair. And then for his fourth re-election, covered up his serious health problems, including a heart condition... And although he was re-elected, he died in office shortly afterwards. Really, the tradition of being much more open with the American public came from Eisenhower, with his military background, thought that every detail should be shared. So when he had a massive heart attack, the American public knew all about it.
3: Stricken at the Lafayette Street home of Mrs Eisenhower's mother, the president was helped into a car in the early morning hours rushed along the street to the Fitzsimmons Army Hospital and placed in an oxygen tent in an eighth-floor suite.
5: And it, in fact, only increased uh, sympathy and support for Eisenhower, who remains, to this day, one of the most popular presidents, partly because of the openness he brought to the White House. But it wasn't a tradition that was really maintained by future presidents with JFK covering up his own conditions and, of course, uh, suspicions about Ronald Reagan's mental fitness while he was in office, although he wasn't diagnosed with dementia until 10 years after he left the White House.
0: It's interesting, another former military man, John McCain, released decades of his medical records when he was running in 2008. How much did we know about President Trump's medical history what w- what have we known about his health whilst he's been in office
5: So while he's been in office President Trump has continued the recent tradition of having annual checkups but they've once again been more political theater than real insights perhaps into his true state of health he had a personal physician at the White House called Ronnie Jackson who was extremely effusive about how fantastic the president's genes were during his first presidential checkup.
2: And I'll tell you, out of everybody there, the president had more stamina and more energy than just about
0: anybody there. Can
2: you explain to me how a guy who eats McDonald's and <laughs> fried chicks and all those Diet Cokes and who never exercises is in as good a shape as you say he's in. It's called genetics.
5: I don't know. And it was almost laughable the way that he glossed over any potential problems that the president, who's quite a large man, may actually have had.
0: I mean, in a way, because he tweets so much, we do know quite a lot about his lifestyle. You know, it does seem very sedentary. He's, he's up all sorts of odd hours and he seems to like eating a lot of fast food. I mean, that doesn't sound ideal for a man of his age and build.
5: Yes, his regular golf trips are usually not an exercise in walking around the golf course, but being uh, driven around. The president remains in charge of what details are released under US privacy laws. It's up to the president what gets revealed and what gets concealed. And we've seen that during the press conferences and then in his latest stay at the Walter Reed Hospital.
2: We're listening to the physicians and all the statements they put out, but we don't know when his last negative test was, will we? Well, we we don't normally get into the, the testing protocol for the president. Obviously, the doctor has already spoken about that.
0: Talk me through the return from hospital, because it turned into quite an event.
5: So once again, we had the reality TV side of President Trump's personality coming to the fore, I think.
0: In a scene that seemed made for TV, a helicopter flies over Washington the Lincoln Memorial twinkling in the background. It lands on the White House lawn. The president walks slowly up the steps to a balcony, pausing dramatically to remove his mask. Does that give us a clue to how he's hoping to play his illness for the election?
5: Well, what Trump wants to do, of course, is to contrast his experience uh, of coronavirus going down with the. disease with Joe Biden.
3: And listen, he has experience as commander in chief. He has experience as a businessman. He has experience now of uh, fighting the coronavirus as an individual. Those firsthand experiences, Joe Biden, he doesn't have those.
0: There's clearly a, a lot to be done in fighting the virus across the country. Has President Trump beaten the virus in a personal capacity, though? I mean, is he out of the woods? We know he's out of hospital, but is, is he over the worst of it?
5: So as Trump's doctors announced on Monday that he would be leaving Walter Reed and that they agreed with this, they also said that he was not out of the woods, those are the exact words that they used, and that they would not breathe a sigh of relief until Monday when he got through the week and the weekend without showing any signs of a a relapse or a turn for the worse. So time will tell.
1: PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
0: More than a week on from the president's COVID-19 diagnosis, it's still unclear exactly when his illness began. Some observers spotted the signs at a rally in Duluth, Minnesota, on the night of Wednesday the 30th of September, just over 24 hours before Donald Trump tweeted that he and Melania had COVID-19.
2: I know the people of Minnesota... And they love winning. They're going to keep winning. We're going to win. We're going to win so much. We're going to keep on winning. And you're going to have the greatest year that you've ever had next year and the year after. Thank you, Minnesota Garden.
1: He was filmed at a rally the day before he got sick or he announced he was sick. It was clear that something was going on. He looked fatigued. He looked pale. His voice had changed.
0: Dr. Bob Wachter has been as gripped as the rest of us. He's a professor and chair of the Department of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. And he spoke to one of our producers, James, earlier this week.
4: So when we saw that first press briefing, what were you kind of listening for? What were you waiting to hear?
1: Well, the two issues really were, where is he in his time course? So I would have liked to have heard, what was the chronology of those tests? When did he have negative tests? When did they turn positive? In part, because it would tell me where he is in the course of his illness, in part because it would tell me and everybody when the White House knew that he had the virus. Then the second matter, of course, was how sick is he? And that's important both because it's important on its face, but also understanding his prognosis and the medicines that he might be eligible for and might benefit from are all very nuanced in a way. It's not like you have COVID, you should get medicines A, B, C. Several of the medicines really hinge on how sick he is and you don't give them when someone's not that sick and you do when they are. And in fact, for one of them, we can get into this there is uh, some evidence that if you give it before someone is too sick, you can actually do harm. So I'm sort of watching for the issue of VIP syndrome. Is he getting more care than is appropriate, which sometimes is harmful? So that made the first press conference a little bit shocking when his physician came out and, and gave certain pieces of information that turned out later to be wrong, other pieces of information that were clearly shaded and obfuscated and other pieces of information that were just or were i guess the opposite uh, areas where he was just being downright evasive and where you had to try i've said that uh, you know we're now engaged in, in what feels like kremlinology trying to parse and interpret every piece of data to try to figure out the truth
4: I've read you've said in another interview that your BS meter was going wild at that press conference. What were the things that were setting off your BS meter?
1: Well, uh, when the president's physician said, well, he's not sick, you know, he's really not sick. He's doing great.
4: Morning, everyone. Thank you for coming. At this time, the team and I are extremely happy with the progress the president has made
1: he's up, he's happy, all that kind of stuff. And we started both remdesivir and dexamethasone. Dexamethasone, in particular, you really only should start. It's not like it's he's a VIP, he's getting it. You know, He's the president, he's getting stuff I wouldn't get. It's cheap, it's easy, we give it all the time. But the evidence, actually from a huge study from the UK, the evidence is quite clear that if you give it to people that are not too sick, the impact is harmful on them. So there was a real disconnect between the picture he was portraying of this vigorous person who was doing just fine, thank you, and the medications they were giving him. They were also, you know, there, there was sort of a combination of things that almost had to be lies or things that were so sort of obviously evasive and. The president's physician may be a very good doctor. He's not a particularly good liar. So, you know, examples are, well, his oxygen level, so your normal oxygen saturation is 97, 98, 99%. His oxygen level, yeah, went down a little bit, but to the, you know, 93, 94 range. And then he said, and it's never gone down to the low 80s. Uh, Excuse me? (laughs) What does that mean exactly? I mean, I hear it's never gone to the low 80s. I can't help but interpret it's gone to the mid 80s, which is very serious.
4: So if my blood oxygen was in the mid 80s, how would I be feeling? What effect would that have on me?
1: You would in general be feeling quite badly. You wouldn't be able to walk more than a few steps uh, without feeling very short of breath. Now, there's a phenomenon in COVID that we don't understand very well called happy hypoxia. Hypoxia is a medical term for low oxygen level where we have seen people that looked OK, felt OK, and yet their blood oxygen level was dangerously low. So that can happen. But in, in general, when your oxygen level goes below about 92, you start feeling it. You know, Think about having if you run a mile and how you feel. That's, that's how the average person would feel and would explain why he got the remdesivir and the dexamethasone. Then he's asked about his chest x-ray and the chest CT scan. Maybe it was the first one. And he says, oh, it showed what was expected. I think that's when my meter really went went wild. What exactly does that mean? You know, what is expected in someone who's fine is called normal, and you say if it's normal, it's normal. What was expected, meaning the doctors, based on the totality of evidence that he's got a pretty serious case, we expected to see evidence of COVID pneumonia and infiltrates and fuzziness in his X-ray that is clearly not normal. Well, if that's the case, then that's what you would say and should say. So. It was all a little bit odd and awkward. And so it's been a very bizarre performance.
4: And if I was on dexamethasone, what sort of effect would that have on me? So it it, it seems like they
1: started the dexamethasone either day one or day two of his hospitalization. And uh, dexamethasone is a fascinating drug. It is a uh, steroid not the build your muscles kind of steroid, but but the kind of steroid that suppresses your immune system. And it's completely logical to ask, why would we give a drug to suppress the immune system in someone who has an infection where we're trying to bolster the immune system? In fact, he was given antibodies to try to bolster the immune system. And the answer is the complexity of what, what COVID does to people. It invades your cells, it begins taking them over, your immune system tries to attack it, sometimes wins, sometimes loses. And then uh, your immune system, in trying to attack it, sometimes goes into overdrive. And it's that immune response that sometimes can cause more damage than the virus itself. Uh, There are phases of that. So in the first few days, it really is the virus that's doing most of the damage. After, on average, probably five to seven days, it's mostly the immune system that's the problem. So what was a little bit odd was that they used it right away, which made all of us who know what's going on a little bit concerned that he must have a severe case, that that, that the x-ray must be quite worrisome because you would not use it early unless he was quite sick. And the evidence from the big UK study was that patients who got dexamethasone in the first week tended on average to do a little worse than patients who got it later. So that's what all of us... Uh, we're thinking. Now, once he gets dexamethasone, one of its sort of classic side effects is that it can give you this sense of euphoria, uh, sometimes make you a little bit manic, make you a little bit disinhibited. It can even make people psychotic and see and hear things that are not real. Now, those all happen not in the majority of people, but the feeling of wellness and euphoria is a very well known phenomenon, happens often. And in fact, we warn patients of that. We will tell them. Uh, You're going to get this drug. You may feel better and you may not be. When we heard him say, I'm doing great, when he wrote on Twitter, you know, I feel 20 years younger. Well, there's nothing about COVID that makes you feel 20 years younger. Most people say it makes me feel 20 years older. So that almost certainly is the dexamethasone speaking, which is worrisome because it may cause lapses in judgment, worrisome in and of itself, but it may make him feel and look better than he really is.
4: If you were treating a patient with dexamethasone and they said to you, my job is very high pressure, quite high stakes, lots of executive decision making with big consequences, what would your advice be to that patient about returning to work?
1: I would say that, and it's not just the dexamethasone, it is you have COVID, you've had a low oxygen level, and now you're on a medication that can cause your thinking to be altered, your judgment to be altered. I would say you, know, you should hand the reins over to someone else until this is over. And the big problem is, whether it's from dexamethasone or other things, asking a patient whether your thinking is clear enough to continue to do your job. Every now and then they'll they'll know it and they'll have enough insight to say that, but I've taken care of hundreds of patients in my life uh, and they said, I feel fine, doc. And it's quite obvious that they're not uh, because one of the things that, that can go haywire is your judgment and your ability to have insight into what's going on. So it's a pretty scary situation.
4: Now, this experimental treatment that he was given, does that demonstrate that there is a treatment deemed safe and effective enough for the president of the United States to take, which might Help turn the course against the disease.
1: Well it demonstrates that his physicians believed that and that uh, if you're the President of the United States you can get you can get it you couldn't I couldn't nor could I from one of my patients but 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 he could. There's a set of medicines that are being investigated called monoclonal antibodies. They are essentially artificially developed antibodies. This is a class where the antibodies have been m- manufactured and are given to a person. And then, of course, ultimately, we hope there are vaccines that work, which essentially would be the person developing their own antibodies. The preliminary evidence on these medicines is hopeful, but not ironclad. There are several of them being tested. And at least from very preliminary studies, none of which have been published, these things have come out in press releases mostly. One of them showed a lower rate of of needing to go to the hospital, because these are ones, unlike the remdesivir and dexamethasone, that are given before people get super sick. So one of them showed some decrease in rate of going to the hospital. There's one that may have shown a hint of a benefit in mortality. And the one he's gotten, what it's mostly shown is that it seems to lower the level of virus uh, significantly. So, and at least so far major side effects haven't been seen. So if you are the president and you are at, at a very high risk category and you have a chance to get this medicine, I don't think it's clinically absurd to give it to him. I think it's a reasonable clinical decision. My suspicion is these medicines work, not magically, not perfectly, but on average benefit people. My suspicion is the FDA will ultimately approve them and they will be available for more general use.
4: There's this footage that, and I've seen it as well, of Mr. Trump and he's standing on a White House balcony on Monday night. And just to a layperson, it looks like he's kind of breathing heavily, maybe the way that I would breathe if I'd run up a flight of stairs or something. What did you see in that footage? I saw someone who was
1: markedly short of breath. And, you know, he didn't run up a flight of stairs. He walked slowly, stopped a couple of times. When you watched him carefully, he was struggling for air. And uh, I don't wish that on anyone. When you ask people who are dying of cancer what they fear most, they say shortness of breath. More than death, they say shortness of breath. That feeling is so unbelievably unsettling and uncomfortable. And as I watched him, I actually was sympathetic because that is that is a very bad feeling. And it, it, any ambiguity that I had in my mind about whether he had lung involvement, because uh, we don't know for certainty because the White House physician fudged on that one, but any ambiguity about whether he had lung involvement was cleared up uh, in watching that tape.
4: I remember having something which I suspect was COVID in early March. And I remember the real sort of peaks and troughs of it and thinking at times... I feel fine. It's just a cold. And then having to say to my boss in the afternoon, I need to go home. This is awful. Yeah. Um, We're speaking on Tuesday afternoon. Is that the likely course that he may be on for the next few days? It's hard to imagine that he feels
1: fine. He won't be on the dexamethasone forever. um, And the dexamethasone may be why he is artificially feeling fine, but the illness is still there. It's very unlikely he won't continue to feel badly for several days. The real issue though, is the course of this illness is one in which some people do okay for several days. And it's only in the end of week one, maybe the beginning middle of week two, that the disease explodes. And and we've all seen many, many patients who looked like he looks on day four or five and died. And um, given his risk factors and given that he was sick enough to need to go to the hospital, and, and we know he at least had a low oxygen level, his mortality rate at this point, I'm not saying for him specifically, because I haven't taken care of him, but for people like him, uh, would have to still be, at this moment, still be uh, uh, more than 10%, might be as high as 20%. And so he is not out of the woods. There is a reasonable chance that he will get sicker, get more shorter breath, require higher levels of oxygen that will absolutely require him going back on that helicopter, getting back to the hospital. Uh, potentially going to the intensive care unit. None of that is impossible, and certainly the decision about having him leave the hospital, from what I know of his case, I disagree with, because I think it's 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 possible enough that I would rather him be 50 feet from an intensive care unit, not a helicopter ride away from an intensive care unit. Uh, you might say, well, he's going to the White House; he can be monitored all the time. Fine, but if he gets really short of breath, and it can happen within an hour and he needs to be on a breathing machine. You don't want to be doing that in a house. You want to be doing that in an an ICU if you can.
4: Whoever wins this election, the president will be a man in his 70s during a pandemic. Are are there enough measures in place to deal with something like this happening again, do you think, Or, or even something worse happening?
1: In terms of the medical piece of this, I think the the area that may be most hotly debated for the future is the, the way the 25th Amendment plays out and whether or not there needs to be something that's a little bit more hardwired about an independent examination for fitness, depending on the president to ring the bell and say, all right, folks, it's time. I'm not capable of doing the job. That is fraught. That's a formula for disaster.
0: The 25th Amendment is one of those quirks of the American Constitution that doesn't really compare to anything we have in Britain. So we called one of America's top legal experts to find out more. Harold Hongju Ko is a professor of international law at Yale University, and he was the State Department legal adviser from 2009 until 2013.
3: So historically in the United States, there were a number of episodes where the president became very ill and in some cases died. This took some particular urgency during the time when President Eisenhower was president because he had a series of health events, a stroke and a heart attack, and everybody realized that there was no formal mechanism to address this issue. And then, of course, John F. Kennedy was assassinated in 1963. So... After that, there was an effort made at a constitutional amendment, the 25th Amendment, which was designed to create two kinds of procedures, essentially. One is a procedure for voluntary transfer of power from the president to the vice president in case the president knows that he will be unable to uh, carry out his duties. And that voluntary process has been invoked quite frequently. The more controversial example is involuntary transfers of power under what's called Section 4 of the 25th Amendment, which is when the president is behaving erratically. This has never been invoked in real life.
4: Do you think we've been in territory in the past week where that was a serious question? You know, the the president's been diagnosed with an illness that can escalate quite quickly, quite severely. From what we understand, there were moments where his Blood oxygen level may have been in the mid 80s, which is a real cause for concern. And he's been on dexamethasone, which uh, I was just talking to to Bob Wachter at UCSF, who was saying it can vary, but it, you know it can put people into states of feeling much better than they actually are, or, or states of mania. Is that kind of 25th Amendment territory, or are we jumping the gun?
3: We've been in ter- 25th Amendment territory for a lot of this presidency. The question is whether the president behaves rationally. Now, it is connected to physical or mental illness, but the point of the amendment is to look at the effect of situations and whether it makes someone unable to fulfill their duties, not whether um, they're ill or not.
4: So what's, what's the standard? What's the test for declaring someone unable?
3: It's a political, not a medical standard. It's based on effect, not cause. And it is determined by a vote of the vice president and eight heads of executive departments, who are, by the way, all people chosen by the president. Now, were that to happen, the president would have 24 hours to respond. And then there would be an immediate convening of the House and the Senate to address this issue. They would then have 21 days to debate the question and would have to vote both houses, and two-thirds would have to decide that he's unable. And if two-thirds of each house decided he was unable, he would be permanently detached from his powers, and the vice president would become acting president. So there are some gaps here. There is no provision if the vice president also gets sick. That's something people didn't consider. But essentially, it is a political assessment. But if there is a point to be made to your listeners, which I think is hugely important, this could happen in less than 30 days. And we have about 30 days till the election. Now, No one has actually triggered this. You know, Suppose the president had uh, gone under a ventilator and refused to sign over his powers voluntarily. We would have been in that zone.
4: It, it sounds as though the 25th Amendment didn't quite anticipate a situation where there would be a highly infectious disease that might spread to all of the high-ranking people in governments. What do you think President Trump and and Vice President Pence should have done?
3: Well, certainly they should have drafted the letter and had it at the ready. The tricky part is that this is a president who's unusually reluctant to acknowledge that anyone else has anything to say about these things other than himself. And the people closest to him obviously are in fear of him and have done many irrational things, in my judgment, out of a sense of personal loyalty to him and not a sense of loyalty to the country or the Constitution.
4: So so are are you saying there's a possibility, that there's a real possibility, that had the president needed to be put onto a ventilator, that they might not have invoked the 25th Amendment?
3: Well, what could also happen is that decisions are made, people claim that they're being done based on the president's desires or directive, hope that he comes out of it.
0: So, with a sick president and parts of the 25th Amendment still untested, is it possible that it needs a rewrite? On Wednesday night, the White House issued a statement saying President Trump had been symptom-free for 24 hours and that all his vital signs were in normal range. We emailed Dr. Bob Wachter for an update yesterday, and he said risk goes down each day he's stable. Of course, you have to adjust for the possibility that we're not getting truthful information about his status. But if we are, he's probably about 10% right now. Even if President Trump does make a full recovery, should Dr. Wachter's suggestion of an independent medical examiner be added to the provisions of the 25th Amendment.
3: Doctors tend to believe that there should be a lot of medical examination. The complication is, do we actually want a process where medical officials are constantly trying to examine the state of a particular person? so much for being here. Uh, First question is, how are you feeling? How is the first lady feeling this morning?
2: She's feeling good. I'm feeling good. Really good.
0: And as for the election, the next debate is supposed to take place on Thursday. Yesterday, the Commission on Presidential Debates said that following recent health scares, it would be held virtually. The Trump campaign responded with a statement calling the commission swamp creatures.
2: It's not acceptable to us. Uh, I beat him easily in the first debate. No, I'm not going to waste my time on a virtual debate.
0: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, The Times US editor, David Charter, chair of the UCSF Medical Department, Bob Wachter, and Yale law professor, Harold Hongju Ko. The producer and interviewer extraordinaire was James Shield. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. You can keep up with all of David Charter's reporting on the presidential election with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today to get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Have a good weekend.